Hey everyone, welcome to the Building a Financial Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial knowledge. This is episode 14, recorded on April 23rd, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. Do your own research. So this week we'll go through a market update. Uh, general market update, and then we'll talk uh, through some weekly Bitcoin news. And um, this is more on the negative side. So then it got me thinking about uh, some things that I've written about in the past, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, as it relates to Bitcoin. So I'll devote the rest of the uh, this week's episode to that particular topic. And uh, We'll go ahead and get started. So uh, with the market update, this is from Seeking Alpha. Dow Jones average suffered its worst beating since October 2020 on Friday, capping a fourth straight weekly decline as mostly positive earnings reports failed to ease worries about rising inflation or the near certainty that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates by at least a half point at its meeting next month. Friday's nearly 1,000 point drop in the Dow followed a speech by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell on Thursday that signaled support for a 50 basis point rate hike is very much on the table since taming inflation is absolutely essential. Rates jumped on Powell's remarks before the benchmark 10-year yield eased slightly on Friday to about 2.9%. Next week, we'll see earnings reports from the four biggest U.S. companies by market cap, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, parent Alphabet. In the week just concluded, the Dow finished down 1.9% in its ninth losing week of the last 11, while the S&P 500 fell 2.8%, and the NASDAQ sank 3.8%. So my overall view of the market is, uh, like a lot of people's, uh, pretty negative. I think the Federal Reserve is really uh, working against the market now. Um, You can probably trade certain stocks, but in general, stocks probably aren't going to do well. Interest rates are probably going to continue to go up. Um, I was actually predicting that the 10-year was going to hit 3% last week, and it got pretty close. Um, Fed doesn't have a lot of control over uh, those rates unless they start printing money and buying bonds, which they're not doing now. So I think rates are going to continue to go up. Probably mortgage rates are going to continue to go up. And that's uh, really bad for stocks. And um, of course, bonds are getting crushed as well. I think I saw a chart that said that, um, uh, well, uh, I think bonds had like the worst quarter uh, ever (laughs) in their history uh, in, in, uh, the quarter ended March. Um, And then also, of course, bonds and stocks both performing poorly, uh, which is not a good thing. So seems like cash is good, even though it's um, slowly being eaten away by inflation. Uh, It's it's probably a better place to be or to have some allocation to. And uh, yeah, even commodities sold off last week, even gold, silver, platinum, uh, uranium, uh, a lot of that stuff just got crushed last week. So when, unfortunately, when the market tanks, people just start selling indiscriminately and everything gets, gets sold. So next week will be an interesting week for sure, but it definitely makes sense to, uh, to play defense. And um, uh, if you have cash, you probably want to keep it (laughs) until, uh, you can figure out what's happening with the market. Uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, so, so into the weekly Bitcoin news. Now, I wasn't going to talk about this. This this one came, this article came out last week, and I wasn't going to dignify it with a response. I did kind of light up Bitcoin Twitter, and then um, and then another article came out uh, this week on a different topic. Um, 
but again, I think the the, uh, the point here is that these articles are, are basically attacking uh, Bitcoin investors. Um, and again, this is all fear, uncertainty, and doubt type stuff. So, so this one came out on April 12th. This was published in the New York Post. Bitcoin fans are psychopaths who don't care about anyone, study shows. The average Bitcoin investor is a calculating psychopath with an inflated ego, according to scientists. A team of experts recently surveyed more than 500 people to uncover the personality traits that are most common among crypto nuts. They identified that many investors exhibit signs of the, quote, dark tetrad, a group of four unsavory traits made up of narcissism, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and sadism. In plain English, that means dark tetrads have an inflated sense of self-importance and derive pleasure from the pain of others. They also find it difficult to empathize with others and are sly and manipulative. Scientists at Queensland University of Technology described their findings in research published in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences earlier this month. They asked 566 people to complete personality surveys as well as answer questions about their attitudes to crypto. Of the participants, one in four reported that they owned crypto and two-thirds showed an interest in crypto investing. All four dark tetrad traits correlated with an affinity for investing, each for their own reasons. According to the researchers, uh, dark tetrads are partly drawn to crypto because they're prepared to take risks. The digital assets such as Bitcoin are infamously volatile and the feast or famine nature of investing is particularly enticing to some. Study lead author, Dr. D. Wang wrote in the conversation, dark tetrad traits are dark because of their evil qualities, extreme selfishness and taking advantage of others without empathy. The dark tetrad are also uh, often related to risk-taking behaviors. The link between the traits and an affinity for Bitcoin is also driven by the fact that the currency does not have a central authority, meaning it is separate from banks and governments. Machiavellians, who are good at deception and take a calculated approach to achieving goals, like crypto, primarily because they distrust politicians and government agencies, Dr. Wang said. He added, many crypto supporters believe governments are corrupt, and crypto avoids government corruption. Narcissists, on the other hand, are drawn to the technology because they tend to focus on the positive side of life. The researchers found that narcissists like crypto because of their great faith in the future and confidence that their own lives will improve. Lastly, impulsive psychopaths and sadists like crypto because they are thrill seekers who fear missing out on the rewards of investing. To them, perhaps both the pleasure from seeing another's pain and the fear of missing out are related to selfishness, Dr. Wang wrote. If you're a crypto fan yourself, don't fear. Investing doesn't suddenly make you evil. We studied only a subset of people interested in crypto who have these traits, Dr. Wang said. If you happen to be a Bitcoin or other crypto holder, you may or may not exhibit them. So this article went out and, of course, Bitcoin Twitter lit up on fire uh, with this. And then uh, the memes were hilarious that people came up with on this. Uh, and then everybody started um, adding psychopath to their Twitter names and, and uh, you know, uh, all that. So uh, clearly most of the people that I've, if not all of the people that I've interacted with and on Bitcoin Twitter and, and uh, that I know uh, are Bitcoin investors are, um, are, are don't exhibit these uh, traits. So, you know, this is clearly, uh, you know, an attack um, on Bitcoin and, and on uh, people uh, who invest in Bitcoin to um, discourage them from, from investing in Bitcoin because uh, how else can you explain it? Um, you know, uh, it's not even, I mean, 500 people in a study, really. Um, I, you know, again, most of the people that I know and have interacted with are uh, thoughtful um, and are, uh, you know, they might not trust the government, you know, sure. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't trust the government. That doesn't make you a psychopath. That makes you a realist. So anyway, 
thought that one was interesting. Here's another one that came out this week. This is uh, from the Globe and Mail, uh, published on April 20th. Bitcoin investors tend to have low financial literacy, according to Bank of Canada research. Canadian Bitcoin owners tend to have low levels of financial literacy while being exposed to elevated levels of financial risk, according to new Bank of Canada research. Based on a series of surveys, central bank researchers found that around 5% of Canadians own Bitcoin between 2018 and 2020. That ownership was concentrated among young, educated men with high household income and low financial literacy, the researchers said in a paper summing up the survey results released this week. Researchers found that Bitcoin owners tend to have a greater knowledge of how Bitcoin technology works than non-owners, but score lower on general financial knowledge questions. At the same time, Canadians who are financially literate are more likely to be aware of Bitcoin than the average Canadian, but less likely to own it, the researchers said. Surveys conducted annually between 2016 and 2020 highlight the risk of investing in the volatile and sparsely regulated asset class around Half the current or past Bitcoin owners who responded to the surveys reported being affected by negative events such as a price crash, scam, or data breach. The Bank of Canada has been tracking the adoption of cryptocurrencies since 2016 to see how they're being used and whether they represent a challenge to the existing money and payment system. So far, cryptocurrency ownership remains relatively limited in Canada, and most people treat it as an investment rather than a means of payment. Around 15% of Bitcoin owners who responded to 2019 survey said their main reason for owning the asset was for making payments. The last survey included in the research paper was conducted in November 2020, which means that the research misses the run-up in cryptocurrency prices at the end of 2020 and into 2021. It also does not account for recent regulatory changes, such as the approval of cryptocurrency exchange-traded funds in 2021, which may have broadened ownership. A pair of surveys conducted by KPMG in 2021 and early 2022 found higher levels of cryptocurrency adoption, including among institutional investors. 32% of the respondents to an institutional investor survey said they had some exposure to crypto assets, while 13% of respondents to a separate retail investor survey said they had bought crypto assets. A Bank of Canada's research uh, suggests crypto investors need to be aware of the risks that accompany the asset class. 18% of the current or past Bitcoin owners surveyed by the bank said they had experienced a price crash. 14% said they had lost access to their digital wallets, and 12% said they had participated in an initial coin offering that ended up being a scam. The volatility of cryptocurrency prices alongside the history of fraud in the sector, most notably the collapse of Canada's Quadriga CX crypto exchange has raised some financial stability concerns. In its most recent financial stability report published last May, the Bank of Canada said that these markets are not of systemic importance in Canada, neither as an asset class nor as a payment instrument. But this could change if a large technology firm, a so-called big tech with a sizable user base, decided to issue a cryptocurrency that became widely accepted as a means of payment, the bank said. The Bank of Canada is developing a prototype for its own central bank digital currency, a kind of digital cash usable for online payments. The federal government has yet to greenlight the launch of a CBDC, but the central bank is working on plans in case the government gives it the go-ahead. There are two main reasons why central banks may want to develop their own CBDC, a collapse in physical cash use or widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies, or other private digital assets, both of which could undercut the central bank's position at the heart of the payment system and its ability to conduct monetary policy. So far, neither has happened. The federal government's 2022 budget announced plans for a review of financial sector legislation that will look at cryptocurrencies and other digital assets. Cryptocurrencies have become a hot political topic in recent months with conservative party leadership contender Pierre Polev touting Bitcoin and promising to make Canada the blockchain and crypto capital of the world. So, uh, again, you have to look at, uh, you know, who who's behind the study, Bank of Canada, Central Bank, okay? Um, and 
Bitcoin is really competition uh, for the central bank in terms of central bank digital currency. So they have a pretty good incentive uh, to dissuade people from using Bitcoin. And so uh, to basically accuse people of uh, who, who uh, invest in, in Bitcoin as um, lacking financial literacy, you know, again, it makes a question, oh, should I be investing in this or not? Now, what I've found uh, with people who, who are involved in Bitcoin is that they tend to actually know a lot more about uh, financial matters. They actually understand how the um, banking system works. Uh, they actually understand how, um, uh, you know, they understand, you know, Austrian economics, uh, you know, um, uh, how, how central banks operate, um, how bond markets operate, uh, how the stock markets function. I mean, you know, it's really quite amazing, actually, the, the depth and breadth of knowledge that, that people who, who are into Bitcoin actually um, uh, develop uh, over time and, and can actually have, um, you know, really good conversations about all these different topics. Um, so that has not been my experience uh, with, with, the, with the Bitcoin community. So, um, in fact, some of the smartest people that I've, that I've ever seen are involved in this community. So it's, it's, it's really, uh, uh, again, you know, great study, but not, not an accurate take at all. Um, so here's another, uh, another one. This is from Bitcoin.com. And again, this also fits into the FUD uh, category. Uh, this one um, is more about energy because there's, you know, this concern over the amount of energy consumed by Bitcoin mining, which is literally, if you put it on a pie chart, it's a little tiny sliver of all the energy. I mean, like you can barely even see the line on the chart uh, uh, of, of the entire world's uh, energy consumption. But it's, it's an issue because, again, it's, it's, it's a convenient way to... Um, sort of combat adoption of, of Bitcoin, I think, uh, yeah, under the um, auspices of, of uh, ESG. So uh, this, this article here is uh, just published today. It looks like U.S. lawmakers call for more oversight of cryptocurrencies environmental impacts. Um, 23 U.S. lawmakers have called on the United States Environmental Protection Agency to increase oversight of cryptocurrencies' environmental impacts. We request that the EPA evaluate proof-of-work mining facilities' compliance with environmental statutes. Um, U.S. Representative Jared Huffman, who is a Democrat from California, shocker, and 22 other Congress members jointly sent a letter to Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan regarding cryptocurrency mining operations Wednesday. Congressman from California is the chair of the United States House Natural Resources Subcommittee on Water, Oceans, and Wildlife. He is also a member of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. The letter calls for increased oversight of cryptocurrencies' environmental impacts. Representative Huffman's office announced Thursday. In their letter, the lawmakers described, We have serious concerns regarding reports that cryptocurrency facilities across the country are polluting communities and are having an outsized contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. Among other claims, the lawmakers asserted that proof-of-work mining contributes to significant greenhouse gas emissions, and results in major electronic waste challenges due to the highly specialized and short-lived computing hardware needed to secure the network. They stress the industry needs to be held accountable for this waste and discouraged from creating it. The Congress members also pointed that out that the less energy-intensive cryptocurrency mining technologies, such as proof-of-stake, are available. Noting that communities around cryptocurrency mining facilities have reported significant noise pollution 
The lawmakers emphasize that it is critically important that the EPA uses these authorities to adequately protect communities across the U.S. being disrupted by these cryptocurrency facilities. We request that the EPA evaluate proof-of-work mining facilities compliance with environmental statutes such as the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act and engage with the communities when reviewing permits. Further, we ask that the EPA investigate and address any harm these existing proof-of-work facilities are causing communities, the lawmakers added. Many of the claims regarding Bitcoin's environmental impacts have been debunked. ARK Invest, for example, has explained several times that Bitcoin mining is net positive for the environment and concerns about the cryptocurrency's energy consumption are misguided. Furthermore, Galaxy Digital published a report in May last year showing that the banking system uses significantly more energy than Bitcoin. In January, CoinShares published a report showing that Bitcoin's mining infrastructure accounts for 0.08%. This is, I think, what I was talking about, the chart. 0.08% of the world's carbon dioxide production today. The company further noted that usage of energy is a contentious and much misunderstood function of the Bitcoin monetary system. Earlier this month, celebrity investor Kevin O'Leary said that Bitcoin mining is going to save the world. And the truth is, is uh, they're, they're doing Bitcoin mining in um, oil fields. So instead of flaring off gas, which, which creates a huge amount of uh, carbon emissions, they're actually able to capture that gas, run generators to mine Bitcoin, and uh, and even though the generators do still discharge, uh, you know, exhaust gases, it's way less than it would be if they were just flaring the gas. So that's a that's a positive, and you know, one other thing too is that Bitcoin mining can be done anywhere, unlike normal power generation that needs to be relatively close to where population is that actually uses the energy, Bitcoin doesn't need to be uh, near uh, anything. So you could potentially build uh, a solar farm in the middle of the desert and do Bitcoin mining there. And, and it would make it economically viable to do so or put windmills somewhere in a very remote location, far from civilization, um, and then mine Bitcoin there, you know, probably with a satellite uplink or something like that. Uh, um, and that would, um, you know, again, be economically viable. So, um, you know, if you really step back and look at what Bitcoin mining can actually do, it can actually make alternative energy economically viable um, uh, and, and can also, you know, again, recycle, um, you know, like the, the gas that gets flared off and things like that, which actually is helpful to the environment. So, um, but again, people who have an interest in dissuading uh, or uh, discouraging people from adopting Bitcoin or uh, pushing it to the back are going to come up with these types of arguments. And this uh, en uh, energy consumption one is an old one. And it, it seems to rear its head over and over again. Uh, here's another one. This one just uh, came out relatively recently too. Um, this is also, I would put this in the category of, of FUD. So there was a rumor that uh, MicroStrategy, who I've talked about before, they're a, a, a computer software, database software company, and they have decided to invest their corporate treasury in Bitcoin. And they've been very aggressive. They've not only have they taken all the cash from their operations, or most of the free cash flow from their operations to buy Bitcoin, but they've also uh, sold bonds. They've sold convertible bonds. They've sold just regular bonds, they've, sold, they've issued stock, <clears throat> and they've bought a lot of Bitcoin. Um, in fact, I think almost their entire market cap, <laughs> $5 billion or something. Um, so this uh, article is MicroStrategy CEO dispels rumor of company quietly selling Bitcoin. Uh, 
Um, this week, a rumor has been circulating on social media that the NASDAQ-listed pro-Bitcoin software company MicroStrategy has been quietly selling its Bitcoin. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor tweeted Friday dispelling the rumor. He explained that as a regulated company under the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, MicroStrategy is required to disclose any material changes in corporate strategy to shareholders via SEC filings. In addition, <clears throat> the executive emphasized that SEC filings are public records that are available to all. He further noted that material changes include acquiring and holding Bitcoin as well as making changes to crypto holdings. Bitcoin.com News published an article this week explaining why the rumor is untrue and the Bitcoin address in question is not owned by MicroStrategy. The address is in fact likely owned by a crypto exchange platform. While some people appreciate Saylor's clarification, some are still skeptical, choosing to believe that the rumor of MicroStrategy selling Bitcoin is true. Saylor has been an avid proponent of Bitcoin. He has repeatedly said he will not sell his coins anytime soon, noting he will hold them for 100 years. In February, the MicroStrategy boss said, I see evidence of a lot more institutional adoption, greater adoption amongst macro and other hedge funds. <clears throat> in December last year, he predicted that the price of Bitcoin could reach $6 million. Earlier this month, his company spent $200 million more in acquiring Bitcoin, raising its total holdings to 129,218 Bitcoin. MicroStrategy obtained a Bitcoin-backed loan to purchase the additional coins. So again, uh, rumor, um, not true. Uh, so far as we know, and uh, but again, um, there's other participants in the market that would probably love to drive the price of Bitcoin down uh, because there's, uh, unfortunately, Bitcoin price tends to track um, stocks and, um, and it trades like a tech stock. Um, and you know, hopefully someday that, that, you know, it will decouple but for now that's how it trades and so um, there's lots of people that short it and there's lots of people that go long and um, pretty much everybody gets wiped out at one point or another so the best thing um, to do as a long-term investor is to dollar cost average and just buy your bitcoin you know however much a day a week a month you know um, and um, and when it does dip, you know, if it goes down in the 20s or in the 30s, buy some more, you know, and just take advantage of this volatility when, when Bitcoin's down. And if you uh, hold on for the long haul, uh, you should be rewarded because of its absolute scarcity. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the soundness of it notwithstanding uh, whatever happens on the regulatory front or the lawmaking front, etc. So, uh, since these articles uh, this week were so negative and so uh, FUD, uh, it reminded me of a pretty famous quote in the Bitcoin community. Um, and I think this was originally attributed to Gandhi incorrectly. So I don't know who actually came up with the quote, but it's a good one. Uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And a lot of people in the Bitcoin community think we're at the then, then they fight you stage. Um, and so how do you deal with FUD? So, you know, if you're like me, you've devoted a significant, you know, portfolio allocation to Bitcoin. It is relatively easy to fall prey to FUD, um, or as we call it, FUD, or fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's often spread, um, you know, by the media um, at Bitcoin and Bitcoin holders, and like we just talked about earlier, um, investor, you know, people, Bitcoiners are actually being targeted now, as you know, as we as we see. Um, it comes and goes in waves. And it usually usually peaks after a big run up in the price of Bitcoin, although uh, now it seems to be, um, you know, we, we're starting to see more and more of it uh, now. Even though Bitcoin's not not really at an all time high, um, 
And I, I think, you know, as a long-term investor, it's important, you know, do your own research, do your own thinking, you know, and stick to your strategy, whatever works best for you. I found that Bitcoin does require a significant amount of research to understand how it works. But having done that research, I still learn more every day and I do continue to be committed to having a non-zero position, as I've mentioned before, and you know, as I go through my monthly portfolio updates. So here's some examples of, of common types of FUD. Governments will outlaw, it's a bubble, it's a Ponzi scheme, something better will come along, there's nothing of tangible value, unlike gold or silver, it'll crash 90%. By the way, the stock market could do the same thing. Uh, and uh, it is used for illicit or criminal activity. So whenever something's new, it's just difficult uh, for most people to see the potential. You know, this you could say this is many inventions in the past, like the electricity or the automobile or, or even more recently, the Internet. I was watching a video clip of Bill Gates on the David Letterman show back in 1995 explaining the Internet and what it does and, and Letterman was just having fun with it, just cracking jokes. Um, I think the current status of Bitcoin now is much like the early internet days. And you know, you have similar camps, you have believers and you have non-believers and both are equally convinced that they're right. So when you think about Bitcoin, you know, it's most obvious use case is a commodity similar to gold where it can be used as a store of value. In fact, that's exactly what Bitcoin was engineered to be, programmatically safe, sound money that cannot be debased. Uh, and again, that's because it's limited supply, 21 million coins. So where Bitcoin is superior to gold though, is in how it can be stored and transferred digitally at very low cost compared to gold. In fact, it's it's really impractical to store and transfer large amounts of physical gold. And uh, Bitcoin's already recognized in the United States as a commodity. Many investors believe that as long as the government's able to maintain regular, regulatory control over Bitcoin and get their tax revenue, um, you know, maybe they'll approve a Bitcoin exchange traded fund. Maybe they won't. I mean, it'll probably... They're going to need, somebody's going to have to sue the SEC before that happens. And that's probably coming. But, um, and there's plenty of support in certain states and there's not great support in other states, but, you know, there's at least a path forward in the United States. And there's certainly a path forward in other countries. Uh, Canada already has Bitcoin ETFs. El Salvador, it's legal tender. Um, there's other countries that are looking at um, you know, uh, adopting um, more friendly rules, I guess, for Bitcoin. So um, there are jurisdictions that uh, that respect Bitcoin and more every day. Um, banning Bitcoin is really hard to do. Um, countries have tried it. India tried it. Nigeria tried it. And then they had to walk it back because... Uh, the, the game theory of Bitcoin, it puts you at a disadvantage to other countries that are that are adopting it. And also, people want it. And again, if you want to be able to tax it, then you kind of can't outlaw it. It's also practically very difficult to do with a decentralized digital bearer asset. Um, you know, you if you self-custody your coins, um, the, the government would actually have to come to your house and tell you to turn it over. And, you know, as a practical matter, they're, they're just not going to do that. Um, and so um, there's also the argument that, you know, it's, 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 it is an asset. And so banning uh, Bitcoin ownership uh, would, would be a taking of property. And so it would be, uh, you know, in, in most countries that, that recognize property rights would be illegal. It would certainly be very unpopular. And then you have this whole industry and ecosystem growing up around it. So in 
So a lot of politicians are looking at that as, hey, that's jobs, you know, mining, that's jobs. Um, you know, Bitcoin uh, invest in, investment companies, you know, uh, companies that um, host uh, wallets or, or you know, uh, individual retirement account plans or payments processing uh, on Lightning. I mean, there's just there are just so many different applications. Um, and then again, it's about jobs. Um, so hopefully, again, governments will recognize that and they'll be, you know, um, you know, more supportive, I guess, of, of, uh, of Bitcoin. Uh, I guess cryptocurrencies all go along with that, but I, you know, really think it's, it's more, it's, it's gotta be about Bitcoin. <clears throat> I think the more intriguing use case for Bitcoin is just the concept of using it as a base layer of a new digital decentralized financial network. Um, a lot of people are familiar with Ethereum, which you know supports smart contracts, it uses blockchain technology, and also allows for all sorts of financial innovation. But the Ethereum pro protocol is still a work in process, technically. I mean, they are still evolving it to, towards this proof of stake. And, um, you know, there's there's all these merges and things that have to happen this year, and it's been delayed. And so um, Bitcoin is really a completed project. And uh, there are entrepreneurs and others that are building um, second layer applications um, that do many of the same things that, that the Ethereum um, uh, protocols do. Uh, you know, one example is like Stacks. Um, there's also the Lightning Network and, um, you know, the different applications that, that handle payments processing <clears throat> on the Lightning Network at, you know, again, high speed, virtually no cost. So these are all going to be, I think, very disruptive to traditional finance. And, and, and you're building it on top of a, a very, very sound um, foundation, uh, which is really important. So um, probably that's the most compelling use case for Bitcoin. And again, one that would probably dwarf uh, any demand driven by investors or corporate treasuries. Um, so Ray Dalio, I got a lot of respect for him. He's a, he's an amazing investor and, uh, you know, has some, you know, really good thoughts about, uh, macro economics and, and history and, uh, you know, especially in the times that we're living in, how, how best to position yourself. I, you know, again, I've listened to him a lot. He has suggested several times that it's probable Bitcoin could be outlawed, either in the U.S. or in other countries. Um, and it has been happening. <laughs> Doesn't last very long, but it does happen. And, uh, you know, he does talk about how gold, you know, ownership of gold was outlawed in the United States for a long time. And so... <clears throat> You know, my thought is this really only happens if Bitcoin really becomes a threat to the demand for 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 the U.S. dollar or U.S. Treasury debt, um, which could which could happen. Um, the government needs to issue a lot of Treasury debt to to fund um, operations and to continue to basically cover uh, uh, the budget deficit. Um, I, I don't think the Federal Reserve wants to be the only one buying uh, bonds. Um, and uh, this only, you know, really only happens if we have hyperinflation in the U.S., which seems unlikely. Uh, the Federal Reserve is pretty committed. They're late to the game, obviously, but they're pretty committed to uh, fighting inflation. And so, uh, you know, we might have a few years of higher than normal inflation, but hopefully we don't get to hyperinflation. <clears throat> um, plus, they can always require banks and pension funds to own a certain amount of treasuries, and they can sort of force feed the market that way. Um, 
So, you know, doesn't doesn't seem like a, a clear and present danger, but anything can happen. And so, you know, that, I think that's why a lot of people in the community feel like you need to self custody um, so that you don't have to run the risk of having your coins um, seized off of an exchange or out of a financial institution if if the bank if the uh, government decided to to do so. Um, And, you know, not, not everybody's favorite investor these days, Kathy Wood, uh, she, she keeps talking about deflationary forces at work in the world, although we haven't, haven't seen much of that lately. But technological innovations are continuing at a rapid clip, and those do tend to have deflationary uh, uh, impulses. So uh, at some point, um, once we get through the, the inflation, um, we should begin to 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 return to a, 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 you know uh, uh, an environment that is more favorable, let's say, for for growth stocks uh, and for these technology uh, stocks. And you know, you you really don't have strong inflation without wage inflation, and you know uh, the unemployment rate's low enough. You know, you're starting to see the wage pressures. Um, uh, a lot of jobs probably were lost during the COVID pandemic that aren't coming back. Um, we see a lot of companies automating a lot of things too. So, you know, I, I've been reading where, you know, uh, because of supply chain disruptions and geopolitical risks and, and all this, that <clears throat> there'll be a lot more reshoring of supply chains and redundancies and, and stockpiles and things of that nature, which would be really beneficial, for example, to the United States, because it would be mean a sort of a reindustrialization of the country. But does that mean all these blue collar jobs are coming back? I don't know. I think I think a lot of jobs are being done by robots now. You know, yeah, there's going to be some jobs. Um, uh, but you know, the, also the implication of reshoring is going to be inflation. It's going to continue to drive you know inflation higher because you can't, you're not going to be buying everything from China, cheap. Um, so you know, wage inflation could have a tough in the long run could have a tough time taking hold um, if if uh, if we continue to see um, you know uh, reshoring and automation. Um, and of course, if there's deflation, uh, you know, we'll have people running back into treasuries, even though right now they're terrible investment and, you know, um, they're negative real yields. Um, but at some point, if you have low enough inflation and high enough treasury yields, people will opt for those versus the the uncertainty of the stock market. So, um, that would certainly solve the treasury demand problem. And, you know, many investors would, might be willing to accept zero or even slightly negative real rates of return for, for safety. So in terms of the volatility of Bitcoin, um, you know, it should settle down as, you know, it gains adoption over the long haul, should approach a more normal rate of appreciation, uh, maybe commensurate with inflation. Um, but in the meantime, what's really driving it is the network effect. So, you know, the, the, you know, the greater use is an alternative investment, more use cases, fixed supply should continue to drive the price up. And, uh, you know, the nature of that network effect is that there's there's a massive advantage to the first mover. So in this case, Bitcoin, which is the first global monetary network. And the only way you get disrupted is if something comes along that is 10 times better. And I don't think <clears throat> Ethereum's 10 times better. And I don't think any of the other coins is 10 times better. Um, and, you know, we've already seen what that does with the likes of Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, at least, you know, in their Netflix, not so much now, Facebook, not so much now, but the other three are still hanging in there. So, 
if you're going to own Bitcoin, you have to be willing to hold regardless of the price action, whether it's up or down with a time horizon of at least 10 years, I think. And it'll be continue to be volatile in the near term. And um, that's something that you just have to, to understand. Now, the Ponzi argument's an interesting one because the Ponzi scheme, you know, usually has a sponsor who's making money at the top by taking in investments, keeping most of the money for personal use or funding occasional redemption, paying out a small amount to investors as a return. And so, you know, you think about Bernie Madoff, you know, he, he was running a scheme like that, the largest in U.S. history. And he was able to do it for years by showing great great results to his investors. And then it all fell apart when the stock market crashed during the Great Recession. So um, the Ponzi falls apart when you have, you know, you know, when new investors stop coming in and whoever's running it can't pay the interest or the redemptions to the existing investors. So to me, based on this definition, Bitcoin can't be labeled a Ponzi because you know it's a decentralized platform. There is no centralized sponsor who's enriching themselves at the expense of new investors. <clears throat> There's certainly no faking the price of Bitcoin since it's actively quoted, traded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And somebody uh, made a joke that uh, that the CEO of Bitcoin obviously didn't get the memo because the number is supposed to just go up. And that was actually how the Bernie Madoff Ponzi looked. I mean, literally every month they had positive results and never had a negative month. So um, what we're seeing in the Bitcoin market is a real market. Um, it's supply and demand. There's nobody in there. Uh, there are big, big uh, position players, uh, whales as they call them. And, uh, you know, they can buy or sell a large amount of Bitcoin and cause the market price to, to, to move significantly. Um, <clears throat> but, um, and then that's one of the accusations is, oh, well, they're just looking for exit liquidity. Uh, I don't know. I just think that there's money to be made in, uh, in, you know, on both sides. And if you've got a large amount of Bitcoin, you, you can uh, sell call options and then wipe people out and keep the premium or, or whatever. Um, you know, just like in the stock market, I guess there's money to be made there. But uh, for, for uh, the average retail investor, the best bet is just uh, buy, hold, and tuck it away. And then as far as criminal activity, you know, that one, um, Bitcoin is probably the worst way for criminals to transact because the blockchain is open and everyone can see it. Um, so it makes it easier for law enforcement to follow the money. And actually, the truth is dollars like paper, banknotes and suitcases have been used for way more illegal activity than Bitcoin has. Um, and banks have gotten, you know, in trouble um, over the years, many, many times, uh, over this. So, um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, my overview of, of FUD. Um, I think there's, there's always plenty of it out there. And, and this week, you know, in the news, the last couple of weeks, you know, is a good example. Um, and so, you know, you do have to be pretty convicted when you when you buy Bitcoin and when you hold on to it, um, uh, you know, and you have to really deal with this. And so, um, you know, when you when you when you do look at the facts, though, there's there's not a lot of reason to be concerned if you if you have if you've done your research, you've done your homework and you have the conviction and you're a long term buy and hold person uh there's there's really nothing to be concerned about your you, how much you have invested should be um in accordance with your comfort level you know and i'm not recommending going all in i mean some people have but you know i still think diversification is important and uh you know uh, it's part of the financial fortress and so you know not all assets work at the same time and so uh you know i i believe in having that but I also believe in having a non-zero position in Bitcoin. Um, 
and you know uh you know i i have a larger percentage there's some people that have two two to five percent you know it's it's whatever works best for you i think the outlook for cash and bonds with what's going on in the u.s and global economy is uh again cash is a great place to store your money for the very short term uh, and out of the market. But in the long run, it's just, uh, it's a melting ice cube and bonds right now are just looking like a terrible um, investment. And so, you know, I think uh, higher allocation to alternative assets in, in including Bitcoin make a lot of sense in the current environment. So that is, uh, that is pretty much it on FUD. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. This was a long one this week. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. And uh, please don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you like so you don't miss an episode. Uh, you can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick, N-I-C-K, Reichert, R-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.